Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello. Hello, panel. Joining me today, we've got DW. Howdy, folks. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And Samaria. Roll Tide. Got a got a smaller group than usual today, I think, probably because uh, people are still suffering from St. Patty's Day. I'm surprised you're here, DW, honestly. <laughs> ah, I performed. <laughs> ah, ah. You, you don't get drunk when you perform. That's a good, uh, no, good... No, that is not true. Oh, I, well, no, I don't, get drunk. <laughs> I don't get drunk while performing, but I do drink. Okay. I get drunk when the show is over. <laughs> That's fair. Today, we're going to be covering episode three, our, our rewatch of season one. We're going to cover episode three, A Place of Safety. I, I enjoy this episode. This is a, a fun little episode, and let's just get right into it. Uh, we've got our cold open, which is Nynaeve being dragged away by a Trolloc. Yep. And we see her getting dragged off, and the Trolloc drops her for a second so he can stop and uh, eat his friend, like you do. Happens. Yeah. Uh, and Nynaeve takes this opportunity to run to the cave uh, where where they do their, their ceremonies, and of course the Trolloc follows. Um she hides in the water, and we get that that awesome Jaws scene as her braid comes up out of the water, and then she kills the Trolloc. I will say it was lovely to rewatch it because I would forgotten, and there was some aspect of my brain that thought that she just ducked under the waters, and then he left. And so when she wasn't under the waters, the first two times he's walking by, I'm like, get, get down. I've seen it before. I'm still going like, get down, get down. <laughs> and then when she does get down, he starts stabbing the water. I'm like, oh, that that. I don't remember what happens here. And then when I saw her rise up, I'm like, Oh yeah. <laughs> so it was a nice it was nice to get re-surprised by that moment. All the proof you ever needed that Nynaeve is an absolute badass. <laughs> Stresses me out. Like I know what's going to happen, unlike unlike DW. I, I know exactly <laughs> how this went. Oh, but every single time I've watched this scene, it just I get tensed up. I, like the cinematography, the music, the direction is perfect. It never gets old. And that yeah. Trolloc is so menacing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was really Huge. noticing this time around how how good those Trollocs really, really are. Like, the the looks on their faces, it, it, it actually looks like that Trolloc is pissed and looking for her, you know? It's yeah. not just a rubber mask that, that you see in most situations like that. There, there was... There was actual facial expressions happening there that, that you could read, and it was it was fascinating. The efforts on the FX are definitely next level. Anything else from that first opening scene that, that we didn't catch the first time around? So I'm pretty sure this was mentioned the first time around, but it's the first time I really noticed the uh, the blood in the pool after Nynaeve climbs mm. out, forming the dragon fang, I think the it's dragon, called. The dragon's fang, yeah. Yeah, because yep. now I we know did, what that we, means, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did talk about that, I do remember, but we were, again, we were still, I think, at that point referring to everything as the yin-yang symbol. yeah. I, I think at that point, um, after after seeing the the sheep and then seeing this, uh, people started theorizing that there was some kind of blood magic happening. Obviously, went nowhere, but I thought it was interesting at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it went it's, nowhere this season. It got all gets yeah. developed in the second season. <laughs> it's just it's just fun going back and seeing these things the second time, and you know what they mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 really why I wanted to come back and do this to see now that you you are all more familiar with this world what it what you see this time because you know that first time you're it's just 
it's like drinking from the fire hose. It's just information on top of information <laughs> on top of information. You know, you know, there's still so much more information in these episodes that I could bring out, and I don't because it would just be too difficult to explain it all at this point. <laughs> this is going to be like the books, right? Like after season oh, two, oh, yeah. we have to start over from the beginning. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, yes. We may end up doing that, yes. <laughs> up next, we have our credit scene, which uh, we've, we've talked about those intro credits in and out. I think we've got that covered. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so our first scene in the show, we've got, uh, pick up where, where we left off last time with, uh, Nynaeve, uh, holding lamb at knife point. And, uh, she's saying, where are my friends? And he says, they're not here. And she doesn't take too kindly to that. And, uh, a little back and forth takes place. And, uh, the first time we watched this scene, I saw something in Lan's face that I don't think anybody else did, but I think you guys may have seen it now. Uh, what what did you guys see here? She's intriguing. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's confused, but he likes it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why am I strangely turned on right now? Yeah. It was like you were mentioning in the last moment about the fact that we were seeing those things that, you know, didn't mean anything to us the first time around. And this, this was the scene for me. This, yeah. the two things that stood out so much for me were the moment that he's like, you're not going to do it. And then she tried to say, well, well I, you know, he's faced down 80 people and intimidated them out of attacking him. And she was not intimidated. Like that took him off guard. He actually, yeah. he didn't get stabbed, but still was a little bit of like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And he doesn't seem like the type that's that's surprised often. And she did yeah. it twice. And well, and then she's also sitting tied to the tree and making demands. And he's like, "Are you making demand?" No, it's a threat. And calm and cool, like again, he, like watching him, just like this is not a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> like, I kind of like this. It's different. It's got some flavor. I like this. I love the faces she was making while she was tied up too. Like she has the 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 cloth over her mouth so she can't say anything but she's staring at him like she's gonna set him on fire with her brain (laughs) (laughs) i mean lan probably thinks he's seen it all at this point like nothing surprises him so like something new is bound bound to be like oh goody (laughs) a (laughs) A puzzle there are new experiences in this world (laughs) so you guys may not know this quite yet i think you're starting to pick up on it though but lan is is like a warder's warder he is he is like the yeah he's the quintessential warder he's like the platonic ideal of what a warder is and all the other warders know it they they all look up to lan they're like lan is what we want to be so the fact that she was able to track him that alone like you know somebody anyone being able to track lan was him going whoa Hello. You learn something new every day. Not that I expect he was had any intention to kill her, but if he even if he had, he might have kept her alive just to find out how. Like, yeah. like, like I, I gotta ask. I, I need to know. Uh, so moving on, we've got uh, Rand and Matt, the dumbass twins. We've got uh, Randall running around yelling for eggs, and uh, Matt is like, "Yo." Um, we just ran away from from some scary things, and you're over here yelling, trying to tell them where we are. What what's going on? Rand's like, "Yeah, you're right. 
they uh, head on their way, and uh, Matt's like, do you, do you really believe Moraine? And, and Rand says, well, Egwene does, and that's what matters. Matt's like, well, why don't we head back home? And, and Rand says, it won't be home without them. Oh. Yeah. I think that's the one argument that would work on Matt. We've seen how attached he is to his friends. Yeah. I loved the beginning of the uh, Matt epic tale. A man who walked while a little, little chilly. chilly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, can you see the, that that boy's coat? That thing is threadbare. That that thing's like, there's no stuffing in it. That, I mean, he's probably is pretty cold. Well, and, and we also know that, you know, Rand coming from more up in the mountains, like is probably a little more used to cold. It could probably bear it better than Matt. Could. Well, and he has a sheepskin jacket, too. <laughs> I mean, you know, Matt, Matt's got this little threadbare blanket that he's got around his shoulders and Rand's in a, a full sheep over there. And he's like, oh, you're cold, weenie. I mean, we also have talked about how everybody had money ready to give to Matt. Like, like that's our kind of belief is that everybody set aside money for buying lanterns for Matt and his sisters mm-hmm. because they do take care of him. So like had Matt actually been in any danger of cold, I think Rand would have given it no question, but a chance to razz your friend. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't know anything about that. Would you? I not at all. <laughs> I'm going to be asking you for your coat next time we're on playa. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so then we move on and we've got uh eggy and P dog. That's right. He's P dog now. It's an early thousands rapper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Perrin tries to start a fire and and is not very successful at it. And uh, Egwene kind of secretly helps him and, and they get their fire going. And uh, Perrin says, was that you or me? And, and Egwene's like, oh, yeah, that was uh, that was totally you. That was definitely you. My hero. I don't think parents fooled. No. <laughs> no. He's very good humored about it. He's like, can you get us some food and water while you're at it? He's yeah. like, doesn't have any ego tied up in it at all. So then they, they have a little chat and they're, are they okay? Uh, and, and Perrin takes, takes the, has, has the big brain moment here and is like, no, we have to go to Tarvalon because Rand's going to go where he thinks you're going. And, and Rand's a dumbass, so we have to outthink him. No, no laughter at Rand's a dumbass. I mean, we because it's it. true. <laughs> Why would we truth? laugh yeah. at a true statement? Because <laughs> the truth is funny sometimes. Yeah. I think the thing that struck me about this is kind of that, like you, they shouldn't be that far apart yet. They're they're traveling on foot, um, and yet Moraine and Lan are in this heavily wooded area that's obviously wet and mossy. Perrin and Egwene are out on this open plains where it's like very like clumps of grass and and, and very sparse trees. And then mm-hmm. Matt and Rand are up in the mountains where it's all rocky and no plant life at all. And yeah. it just seems really weird that they they spread out so quickly in the space of less than a day. Yeah. Um, well, I would say that that, you know, we could see Shatter Logoth in the background of the the Rand and Matt scene. Yeah. Because yeah, they just jumped in the water and then climbed back out. Yeah. And and you can tell that it's it's a sizable city. And we know that Lan and Moraine went back out the same opening they went in. And we know that Perrin and Egwene and Rand and Matt ended up going in completely opposite directions from each other. 
so I can just from my knowledge of of this land say that uh Moraine and Lan ended up going out the east side and then coming back around and pretty much heading straight or going out the west side coming around and heading pretty much straight east through the forests. I would say Perrin and Egwene went out the north side and ended up going across the Carolyn Grass, which is pretty much where that would lead them. Rand and Matt ended up going out the south side, which which ended up in the mountains that lead towards uh, Whitebridge and, and Green Spring. So, so they all headed off in completely different directions. I was about to say, I need a map. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an animatic that shows the travel by map. GPS. Just slap some GPS on these people. <laughs> I was saying this the other day when talking to somebody about this, that uh, I know that they avoided doing a map in the opening scene because that's Game of Thrones the thing, but it's a good thing. I mean, I, <laughs> I think it should be... It should be a, it should become a normal thing that fantasy shows just show you a map in their opening credits because you know fantasy alert nerds love maps. But you could even go the opposite direction and do it during the closing credits to show the path of this episode. Oh, like I, I like you, that. You've, idea. you've seen yeah. the show. Now here's where they went as the credits roll. That would work. Yeah, that's a good one. That is kind of a cool idea. I do like that. So I, I do find it funny that they're kind of suffering from from the description that we're kind of getting out of this. They suffer from the opposite problem of Star Wars, where a whole planet has one ecosystem. This small area has three very distinct ecosystems. Yes. Oh, man. I was, I'm going to mention that later. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It was one of my, like, my snide comments like later on nothing serious but i'm glad i'm not the only one who had the same thought <laughs> i mean it's more realistic i would say i mean i'm these people are several miles apart at this point i mean if i go a few miles to the west of me i'd, I'd be in a forest in the mountains if i go a few miles to the east of me I will be in a, a, a completely flat desert valley. You know, it, it's not not that far out of out of reality. I would say that's valid. That's fair. I mean, I I can't say anything being from L.A. Part of the reason it's good for the movie industry is you can drive from the snow to the beach in this couple hours. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it's it's a lot more realistic than the the monoculture. <laughs> That you were talking about with, with this planet is all desert. Yes. Well, if it's all desert, why does anything live there? There's no water. <laughs> well, we moisture farm. Because <laughs> that makes sense. Hey, let's go to a planet with no water and then moisture farm. We have to grow it. You have to plant water. Yeah. And then you. <laughs> and then it grows. Put, put the water seeds in. Yeah. You water it with dirt, though. It's it's kind of the opposite. You dirt it. <laughs> I need more tea. All right. <laughs> oh, DW, I love you so much. I love you too. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of love, uh, we get uh, Perrin and and Egwene snuggling around the campfire because they're both cold and tired and and a little scared. And uh, I would like to point out that this snuggle was in no way romantic. I very that much read them as brother sister. Yeah. Very brother sister. But that that outburst work. <laughs> How many ship wars have you gotten into? 
No, no. This is just uh, later on when Nynaeve accuses yeah. uh, Perrin of, of holding a candle for Egwene. Like, most of the fandom was just like, what the f- yeah, like no, uh-uh. that accusation in the first episode, though. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and like seriously, everybody in the fandom is just like, no, they're like brother and sister. What are you Who on? Grows? Like, it's very clear. Yeah, like, yeah, it, it, it's it, it's like it. I would say I'm I'm. You asked uh, how many fights I've been getting into. I'm not getting into any fights. I just think it's gross. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, th- they really are brother sister. That that's not you know. In my mind, that's where they're at. And, and you know, a Nynaeve's thing, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. <laughs> I think Nynaeve is just no, possessive. Yeah, yeah I think very. that's it, too. I think she's just jealous. She wants Egwene all to herself. You know, Egwene's her, her little trainee that she gets to boss around. I buy that. The thing I actually caught from this scene that I didn't as much notice, and it's, you know, we're, we're noticing more and more about Perrin's connection to the wolves is I wonder if there's an amount of more noise they make, the more panicked Perrin gets. Because it seemed to be building on itself. Like Perrin would panic, the wolves would get louder. Perrin would panic, the wolves would get louder. Perrin's panicking at the fire. The fire starts and the wolves kind of subside. That's entirely possible. That's a very, very interesting observation you've got there, DW. Anyway, moving on. Rock's chewing the inside of their cheek again. (laughs) (laughs) We'll bookmark that for later. (laughs) So, uh, moving on, we have uh, Lan, Moraine, and Nynaeve. Um, Nynaeve is bound, as we were saying earlier, and uh, Lan gives her water and asks her for help. And uh, she says, look, if I'm going to help her, she's going to answer my questions. And, And like you said, she said, that's not a demand, that's a threat. Lan finally gives in. We get these scenes of of Nynaeve gathering herbs as Lan observes her and uh, healing, you know, doing her things to heal Moraine and whatnot. But uh, something I want to bring up here: um, the music playing in the background. We've talked about this before. the The lyrics that were written were written like um, uh, opera lyrics, where they are germane to what is happening uh, to to what is going on we now have the the translation of the lyrics so i i figured out which lyrics were playing during these scenes and i want to read those to you now okay during the scene where Nynaeve is gathering herbs and lan is watching her from nearby the lyrics translate to cunning wisdom i give you my heart let us tear down each other's walls oh <laughs> And then the next scene. the music, the there. shipping is starting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then the next scene is when she says, if you want to know, just ask. And he finally asks, how did you track me? And she doesn't answer. I, I think our theory is still that Moraine was eating sunflower seeds. And she just followed the, <laughs> the trail of seeds. I'm more wondering, like they, you said that they can sense uh, the ability to use in the same gender. And I think she was tracking Moraine. That's very possible. She would not have been able to teach that trick to land necessarily, though. Oh, because you're right. She teaches him later how she to track She teaches Moraine. him how to follow Moraine into the blight. That's, you're right. You're right. Yeah, she said, so you know those, those sunflower seeds that she's always eating? Yeah, <laughs> just look for those. I mean, really. You're supposed to be a great tracker and you can't see the sunflower seeds? Come on, dude. 
She hasn't figured out yet. The trail of that dress just wrecks everything in its path. It's about three feet wide. Yeah. And it's just really easy to follow. Uh, right after this scene, uh, we get some more lyrics. And these lyrics translate to, May the threads of our fate be intertwined in a noble braid. That is all I seek. So this was not a secret to whoever could understand those lyrics. Oh, yeah. But if you understood that language, you probably already know what's going on. Uh, So they get back to Moraine, and uh, this is when Nynaeve says, uh, you might want to bite your wallet there, Lan. Uh, This is going to hurt, because I know about the the whole warder bond thing. And then she poultices the wound, and Lan actually grunts, which tells you that that really hurt. Pretty emotive for Lan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a, a straight-out scream from just about anybody else. <laughs> so then we get back to uh, Perrin, who is in having a dream. Um, and he's dreaming. He sees there's Flameface in the dream, and he's working his, his way through his forge, and he sees Elsa, and she says, I know. So this is the first time I spotted the red eyes through the window mm. at the very start of the dream. When parent yeah. gets up out of bed, there's a face at the window. Yeah. And I hadn't spotted that the first time. And it also occurred to me that parent is the only one who gets two dreams. Everybody got the one mm. with the bats. Yeah. Perrin's the only one where Shamael reaches out a second time. And I wonder if it's because Perrin has started um, the connection with the wolves has started already. So he's doing something that isn't channeling, but that Shamael is picking up on and saying maybe he's the one because he's doing something mm. like he could be the channeler. So Perrin's confidence. Karen's connection with the wolves means he gets extra dreams. Interesting. Well, you know, if that's, well, there's something, if that's yeah. the way of testing to see which one of them yeah. is the dragon, if they're trying to get into these people's heads. No, no, no. I, I, I you like know? your reasoning here. This is, this is really interesting. Yeah. There's something different tested when, when testing parents' dreams, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. I got to go back for a second dip. Let's find out. Yeah. So then they wake up and uh, he and Eggy run from the wolves again because the wolves have started howling after the wolf in his dream ate his wife. Because Perrin was anxious. Well, yeah, he yeah. just had a horrible nightmare. He wakes up. Exactly. I, I'm just <laughs> saying this is this is reinforcing my like, whole. <laughs> the wolves are emotionally attached to Perrin. Uh, so then we switch over to uh, Matt and Randall again. Um, Rand is is. Being funny, as we were talking about with, uh, you know, oh, the, the, the boy who walked while a little cold. And, and of course, Matt is upset because, you know, comedy is his job. He's, he's the, the clown in the group, not Rand. I love that line. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, you're funny now. That's new. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, at that point, it was new because, uh, you know, Rand had kind of been a dick up to that point. I think we said when we were first going through this that we noticed this was the first time we kind of were a little bit easier on Rand. Yeah, yeah. Because he kind of had been just being a jerk to everybody. Yeah. Well, he worked it out. He he 
He had his little tantrum. He protests his feelings, and now he's going to get on with. And we do meet him during a very difficult time. Yeah. I mean, we've met him right in the middle of a breakup. I mean, you know, nobody's in in their best in the middle of a breakup, especially a long, drawn-out, on-again, off-again breakup. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing there's a job possibility involved that's going to change the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to go off to, to... channeling school he's going to go off to dragon school you know they're going to be in different countries it's going to be a long distance thing it just doesn't yeah, work and you know, know they don't exactly have email these days yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're going to try to seeing other t- people for a little while but that's not going to work out <laughs> You have such such a, a thing for stepping in it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I really love it. Um, uh, so continuing on, uh, they come to Brain Spring. And we see them walking their way into town and uh, past a, a poor Aiel gentleman who, who is in a cage. Through town to the Four Kings Inn. Um, and... I just have to say, I was really looking through these scenes, and that set that they built was just amazing. Like, wow. That thing was huge and, and detailed and beautiful, and, and it wasn't even for that long of that big of a scene, you know? It was amazing in, in my mind. And very evocative, too, of the kind of like, this town only exists because of the mine, and, you know, people don't stay here if they have any kind of choice. It's dirty, it's squalid, it looks poor. You end up in a place like that and then basically can't scale your way back out. So inside the Four Kings Inn, uh, they they meet Dana. And uh, they ask her if she's seen their friends. She's like, nope, I haven't seen any of your friends. The only new people I've seen are you and the Glee dude over there. And uh, the Glee dude comes out and isn't very Glee. Best entrance ever. <laughs> so way way back in uh, episode one, I think, was when uh, Ruark brought up that the s- start of the story follows the same beats as Lord of the Rings. And David goes, oh, I can't wait to meet Aragorn. <laughs> <laughs> and here we have Aragorn. Except instead of hiding in a table in the corner... We get the center stage. Yeah. Do meet him in a pub. <laughs> yeah, in a pub. And I'm, and Matt and Rand are probably going. It comes in points. <laughs> <laughs> I think Matt was very well aware it came in points. <laughs> uh, so uh, the Gleeman then, uh, of course, asks for donations. And, and uh, that's when we find out that Matt got his his uh, wallet pickpocketed and then re-pickpocketed by... Tom, who then says, well, you know, you're the mascot got pickpocketed in the first place, so uh, sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, there, there was just too many bumps in that. The first time watching it, I knew yeah. there was a pickpocketing going on. There was just too many, like, make sure you get that solid bump, make sure you get that solid bump on yeah. camera. Yeah, well, well, when somebody bumps into you that hard and then turns around and is like, oh, 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 and pats you in several places, you know there's something going on. <laughs> that's And funny for Matt to not pick it up, though. Yeah. Like, I kind of would have expected that to happen more to Rand. 
than Matt to have fallen for it because I'm pretty sure Matt has bumped into people to do that. Huh? Maybe, maybe not. Well, do we, do we think Matt is is that direct of a thief? No, he's too small townish. Honestly, like he's more he's more yeah. of a manipulator. Yeah, yeah, like Matt. But if somebody came through town that was not a friend, not somebody from their town, like came through town had money on them and was being a jerk to everybody, Matt would be the first to pick his pocket and give the money to the people that he was a jerk to. Well, to, no, because he does not pickpocket Pat and Fame. <laughs> I, I think you're going to try to have got his hands swat. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, maybe maybe he's tried that in the past. And, uh, <laughs> it didn't work. Fame, yeah. no. And we don't know how much Pat and Fame possibly taught him. Oh, that's if they've good had a friendship. Yeah, Pat and Fane's been been coming to this town for about as long as the kids can remember. So we we missed the scene where he's teaching him the queen grift. Ah, yeah. Three card Monty, man. <laughs> that's Three card Maddie. Three card Maddie. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call him. Good old three card Maddie <laughs> running his scams down on the corner. Find the ice and I. Find the ice and I. Follow the ice and I. <laughs> <laughs> So then we get back to Perrin and Aggie and uh, discover that the wolves had led, have led them to some tracks. They stand there and they're arguing what kind of tracks they are. And Egwene says, I think they're white cloak tracks. And, and Perrin says, no, I think these are moose tracks. And they're both standing there arguing until the train hits them. <laughs> Old vaudeville joke. Um so they decide they're going to follow the tracks and, uh, you know, let, let's follow at a distance just in case it's, it's somebody that we don't want to be near. These two people um, that are totally skilled at secretly following people. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the skilled trackers, they are not. <laughs> a parent works in a forge and, and, uh, she works in a, in a bar. So not really learning a whole lot of tracking in either of those places. Or how to be inconspicuous and quiet. <laughs> do to do, do, totally not following you. Yeah. <laughs> this wide open space with no shelter. <laughs> Come on. Oh, we're, we just happened to be walking the same direction. We didn't even notice you there. I oh, down. Yeah. Um, so we high beams trying to go around them. Uh, so then uh, we get back to Rand and Matt. Um, they're asking for a room. And uh, Rand looks kind of ill when he sees what's in the soup that they were eating earlier. Um, I, I noticed that for the first I, I time this time. Like this like, yeah. restaurant at all. <laughs> yeah, Rand, Rand watches her uh, throw a bunch of stuff into the soup pot, including what was in some beer some leftover beer glasses and you could see him just turn kind of green and as, as she <laughs> was, was doing that. <laughs> he was shocked. Yeah. Shook. The, the, the kitchen in that <laughs> tavern would not pass uh, inspection. inspection. No, no. no. So I don't, I don't think she uh, went, went down and got her food handler's permit. I don't think I that's, that's There's a little parchment here. outside with like a D on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's only because they bribed them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so she says, yeah, I've, I've got some stuff you guys can do. You guys can come chop wood. You know, it's, you're, you're a sheep herder. You can, you probably know how to do this. Get some wood, get to chopping. Um, there's a little more humor and, um, then Matt turns into a dick <laughs> again. So the first time watching this, 
Um, we knew he had the knife, but it, we didn't know what influence the knife had over him yet. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, Matt's unhappy and wants to go home to his sisters, and the knife is just putting a, yeah, just putting yeah. a spike in his brain to make him mean. I mean, you don't tell your best friend that you think his girlfriend's dead. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just don't. Well, and, and the thing here is, like, a couple scenes previous, he's the one who was making the, the point that she's going to... She wants to go to Tarvalon. That's where you need to go if you're going to find her. He was the one who, who figured that out, not Rand. Yeah. And now he's saying, what are we bothering for? She's probably dead. Like, yeah. I, th- that's, that, that's, that's not, not Matt. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a normal shift of, of opinion within a few hours. Especially when every other scene you see him in, he is so caring about his friends. He's the one who's yeah. in there comforting them when... He knows that they're, you know, not dealing well. Yeah. I just um, had a major light bulb go off. We're giving Matt a total bad time about being a little chilly. It was the dagger. <laughs> you think so? The first effects of the dagger making him cold. Because mm. he's never complained about being cold it's always worn the same thing. Yeah, they're a well, little bit in the mountains. In general. And Rand being so like, yeah, it's just a little chilly. What if that was an effect of the dagger? Oh. Yeah, you do see him get physically weaker as time goes on. And even if it isn't making him cold, his resistance to yeah. natural yeah. temperatures might be lower. Like, because he's not, he's not 100%. It's starting to have yeah. an effect on him. Yeah, yeah, it's making him ill, right. so even just a little cold is is sapping his body heat. But a beautiful, if it yeah. was intentional, which I I often find out these little things are, when, when you, if you ever get to talk to directors or the actors and stuff, you find out these little nuances were part of it. But like, that is a beautiful, subtle thing to do so early on that starts... No, I, 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 I hadn't even picked up on that, but yeah, I think you, you could be right with that. That's a really good observation. Because you see, by the time they get to Tarvalon, he's stumbling on the road, and then mm-hmm. when they get into town, he spends most of his time in bed. Like he's, he's, it obviously impacts him physically as well as mentally. Yeah. So yeah, I totally see that. Well, it was Siobhan's comment that put it in my head because it's like, oh yeah, we're seeing. We didn't know the first time. We're seeing the interactions of the the dagger now that we know what the dagger does. And I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> that's what that your comment made that light bulb go off. Where I'm like, oh, <laughs> good choice. So then uh, Matt goes off and finds Dana, and and he tries his third best smile on her, and uh, <laughs> it it doesn't get him anywhere. And uh, he tries to tell her that he's a well known horse trader, and she, uh, you know, pretty much gives him the smackdown pretty quickly on that one. Um, and she finally says, "Hey, you can go serve beer." And uh, then she goes on to lament about being a small town hick. Her emotional manipulation game is a plus. Oh, she's very good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's very good. But you know, also, she works in a tavern in a mining town. She's had yeah. people try it on before. Yeah. 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 She's she's that, that truck stop waitress that's heard every fucking line, every fucking bullshit. And, and she's, yeah, look, honey, you, you ain't going to pull a nut over on me. All right. Just move on. You know. I love the been smoking 80 packs a day voice that you gave her. <laughs> <laughs> that was a character. 
I was a soprano once. <laughs> so then we end up back with uh, Lan and and Nin, and Lan just bounces and says, uh, stay here, watch her, I'll be back. And she's like, wait, you had me tied to a tree not that long ago, and now you're just like, take care of my 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 charge while I take off, not tell you where I'm going? What the fuck? Yeah, I, what I noticed here that escaped me the last few times was that Nynaeve actually seemed scared for him to go. Like, at first, like, I've been assuming, oh, you know, she's like, how dare you? I don't want to be with her, which I think it's, it's still there. Like, she doesn't want to be left alone. She doesn't want to be responsible. I also think she's been alone this whole time, like, dodging and fighting who knows what. And she's like, it's a safety and numbers thing for her, even if she won't admit it. <laughs> Like, better to be with these people I can't stand but clearly know what they're doing and how to protect themselves and, you know, are willing to put themselves in harm's way for me, uh, for others, you know, rather than, like, risk being alone at any cost at this point. She may not like Lan, but she knows he he's really good with that sword, and that could be ha- useful right about now. Given that, you know, she's just... She knows that she's being chased by Trollocs, or she, or somebody's being chased by Trollocs. Yeah, there, there are Trollocs around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the operative the word here being Trollocs. <laughs> so the guy with the honking big sword want him close. Yeah. So then uh, we get back to Perrin and Egwene, and they catch up to the caravan, um, and they go through a little back and forth where her parents says, you stay here, I'll go ahead and, and, and you stay safe. And she's like, I, I don't need you to protect me Perrin, but we all know that Perrin's protection is, is he's not protecting Egwene is, is basically what it roll boils down to here. It, it's not Egwene he's trying to protect. So they continue on into, into the mist where they get surrounded by some people who start asking them if, if they know songs and stuff and, and, uh, they're just kind of confused, and then Aram steps forward and, and is just charming as fuck. So there was a, a tiny scene that I missed the first time around. Mm-hmm. When they first encounter the uh, Tuatha'an, um, Perrin hears wolves growling, and then you hear Egwene saying something to him, but it's very distant and echoey. Like, he's not really hearing her, and then the wolf snarls and then there's the people right in front of him and he's holding his knife out ready to defend themselves and i just thought there was like he was just on the verge of going into that berserker rage again Mm. and just the fact that they didn't approach is what prevented him from doing something stupid i don't even think i picked up on that that's it was it was like just a split second before the 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 travelers appear and of course your attention is on them because they're new but like just at the second that they come out of the mist you hear the snarl and parents mm. on the defensive with his knife out i wonder if like that makes sense because i noticed last night how much isla and oh gosh i forget her husband's Rain. name thank you are they seem annoyed <laughs> you know really annoyed mm-hmm. and put upon and Ugh, these people don't know the exchange, which doesn't seem like them. Yeah. From what we learn about them later. 
but a stranger it, holding a knife at you. Yes, yeah, that'll like, put me oh. in a mood too. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to say again. hi. God. Yeah. Well, well, and especially considering you know who they are and and the fact that they you know deal with a lot of abuse because of who they are. So if you see a stranger with a knife, you're not going to be immediately like, oh yes, please come join us around our fires. And they also seem to be very surprised that um, that Perrin and Egwene had never heard of the, of the Tuatha on before. The traveling yeah. people. And so everybody knows that, you know, we're peaceful. Why are you pointing a knife at us? What's wrong with you? We meet the Tuathuan. Tuatha-on, excuse me. Sorry about that, Brian. They they just, they have some very bright wagons and, and very charming people. And very matted hair. No showers on the road. When you come across water, you take advantage of it. Until then. We get back to uh, Dana and Rand. And Dana is showing Rand the, the room that she's going to put them in that night. And uh, she starts checking the waters, saying, uh, so, you know, you and Matt, uh, you kind of got a thing going on? And uh, Rand's like, oh, no, 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 no. I've, 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 I've got Matt's standards. a disaster by, and I am not going in that direction. <laughs> I am sorry. I could do better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we switch back really quickly to Lan, who uh, comes to a, 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 an overlook, and we see, this time I actually noticed that you could see the Aes Sedai camp yeah. below. Yeah, was... I, I didn't notice it the first couple times. Same here. I just, um, I think I was watch. I was watching on a different screen, and I think the lighting was better. Yeah, And yeah, I could see the... the red, the red tents yeah. amongst the trees. I assume there's green tents in there as well, and you just can't yeah, yeah. see them. Uh, well, the green would mix with the trees, so of course the reds are going to stand out. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want to do anything else. Yeah, it's not like they they know how to do things subtly. I think there's a certain amount of not feeling any reason to, not feeling a reason to hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. We don't hide from you; you hide from us. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to be your worst nightmare. See how you like it. Uh, so then we see Matt uh, back back in Breen Spring, and he's uh, out at out visiting our Aiel, who's who's hanging in a cage. And uh, Tom shows up, and I noticed this for the first time this time. I I noticed the kind of Western cinematography of of yeah. Tom stepping up and the boot coming down and and the, the whole high noon thing, but yep. I didn't notice the guitar twang until you this did time. It? And yeah. And, and, and like, I was like, Oh, was very Oh high yeah. High wow. Laughter. Wow. Last night. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, be serious. Yeah. <laughs> he, he talks to, to Matt for a minute and he's like, how has a two rivers boy seen a, a trollic? And, and uh, Matt says, Oh, where's that? And Tom's like, please, you look like a hick. You dress like a hick. You talk like a hick and you're stubborn as fuck. You're obviously from the two I love the fact that being stubborn as fuck is like one of the defining characteristics of the people from Two Rivers. <laughs> yes, these awesome. are your people, Siobhan. Absolutely. <laughs> you you would walk into the Two Rivers and they'd just be like, yep, one of us. Isn't she the Miller? Siobhan, <laughs> <laughs> Well, well there's going to be an son. opening in the mill. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then they have a, a discussion about, uh, the Aiel, um, Tom t teaches him that, that Aiel are only dangerous if they have their veil up. If their veil is down, they, they are not dangerous. It's only when the veil is up, which 
is important to know later on when when we see that blood snow scene um and uh matt robs the dead as as tom just kind of turns his back and says yeah we've all had a desperate time i'm not going to judge you for that um but you can at least help me bury this guy and and he does um and of course tom says uh rest well warrior of the threefold land may you find water and shade i think it's really um telling about Matt's personality that even while he is under the influence of the dagger and that he is acting out because of that influence, enough of his own personality shines through that he's still able to bond with this guy. Yeah. Bond, treat the body with respect. I noticed in this episode how much Matt gets gender subverted. Like he, I was like, okay, so he's a single mom. He's trying to get back to his two kids. That's, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Like if, and I have this discussion a lot because, unfortunately, I am a Supernatural fan. And, you know, we Supernatural fans talk a lot about how Dean Winchester, like, his character, his arc, his archetype is very feminine. And the writers clearly don't know what to do with this. I think the writers do know what to do with this with Matt. And, like, like obviously, he's a guy. Like, I'm not saying he's not taking away from his masculinity. I'm just, you know, like, oh, a lot of what goes on with Matt, I would expect in another story to be attributed to a female character. And I just find that very interesting. So we see that many times where he's like, I'm you know, like, how, how many tables do I have to wait to get fair back, you know, to where I need to go? You know, I'm and he, when he's cutting down the body of Da'iel, he said, I'm sorry, I have sisters. <laughs> you know, that's like, I don't, that's not really the kind of caretaker role a guy usually has in stories or just in, in real life. You know, like he's not talking about, oh, I have to He Well, I mean, he is talking about I have to provide for this, but it's not very like I have to make sure they have, you know, a home and food on the table. He's like, I have to make sure they're OK, like emotionally have to make sure they grow up to be good people. I have to make sure they have a good adult role model in in their life. And that's very like stereotypically like coded feminine yeah and i just I, I you know i saw bits and pieces all over the place in this episode when it came to that no that's a really interesting observation i i i really like that a lot the yeah. the idea of matt as a single mother um it's kind of like that character in uh stranger things uh, what's his face i know yeah. yes <laughs> Um, oh, the, the, the guy who Joe. always ends up being the babysitter for them. Yeah, yeah, he ends up just being the mom. He's just the mom yeah, character. Steve Harrington. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Matt really kind of feels like that, and and yeah, I, that's. I mean, I can I can totally see it now. Like I can see Matt going hungry and so that his sisters can eat and and that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah. that's. Huh. And to a certain extent, the abusive relationship is with the actual parents. Instead of with a significant other. Yeah. No, oh, that's that's fascinating. I'm my my brain is kind of like that's at the a, moment. That's a good catch. I like their interaction just because it, it feels like the you know in this we're getting so many characters and stuff like that, and you know we're getting reasons people became the heroes they're going to be, and I feel like this was a significant one for Matt. I feel like this was like this could have gone many directions. 
And because it went how it went, it put Matt on a path that I think we're going to see where that takes him. Hmm. Okay. Aragorn's uh, an influential guy. Yep. <laughs> Um, so then, uh, um, we get back to Dana and Rand in, in, in the little storeroom and, uh, Dana's like, Hey, Hey Rand, uh, you know what time it is? It's business time. And Rand's like, Nope, Nope, no business. business. We're closed today. Sorry. This uh, is when Rand finally figures out what movie he's in. Like yeah. everybody yeah. else knows, <laughs> like it, it reminds me of a Tumblr post where they're like, you know, I don't even remember what show or movie it was about, but they were like, every character in this story is in a different genre, and that informs their role and how they act. <laughs> Everybody else has figured out that they're they're in this story. Rand hasn't. Like, he's just more or less been along for the ride. He does not know that he's, like, in a coming-of-age drama fantasy. He, he does not know this. And so when Dana starts talking, he, that is genuine confusion. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he has not been paying attention at all. Everybody else has been following the beats. Perrin has his story. Egwene has her journey. You know, Matt's like, I want to get out of this movie, actually. So, bye. Like, Nynaeve is off to rescue her found family. And Rand's just like, do, 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 (laughs) do. Well, so this is where we're at today. And this is when he finally clues in that, First of all, he's in the story, and two, what kind of story it is, and I just found that really funny. <laughs> and it turned into a slasher flick. Very it did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that moment where she closes the door was just yeah. like, like this wait, complete atmosphere change. It was so abrupt. I'm sitting there going, I knew it was coming, and I'm still sitting there going, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> but my compliment, from what Samaria was saying, my compliments to the writing in this, because... It is if you've got somebody who's supposed to be the all-powerful being, having them downplayed for while while you're playing up all of these great traits about the other characters is a great way to make everybody seem on par. Or even really, you don't even think like, well, there's no way this guy who doesn't even know what story he's in could be the lead character. Yeah. And so it was a very clever tactic to use to even out all of the, um, the the characters that are potentially the dragon, because if they just showed him being a, a badass who knows what stories and we all would have been picking up a lot more that he is the dragon. Something I noticed the first time that, that I thought was absolutely going to give it away was Rand channeling to get out of there when, when he channels to break the door open. And there's a little bit of a, weird uh rush looking thing that happens like they they pull focus on it really quick or something to to indicate that that's what just happened and when that happened i was like oh well fuck they're all gonna know he he just channeled and none of you picked up on it the first time not a single one of you and i was just i was i was was looking for it (laughs) yeah yeah i see i feel i picked up on this the hit but i was so in the voltron mode that I was assuming they were all going to end up being able to channel. Ah, yeah. Like, that's, that's the thing. I, I wasn't surprised by him channeling because I was kind of figuring something was going to happen to each of them. Ah. They were doing such an ensemble cast that I'm like, oh, here's Rand's moment to shine. Almost like, almost like his figuring out what story he's in was his chance to level up. 
but yeah. I've seen a lot of movies where like the whole team levels up and everybody gets different abilities and it makes for a very interesting adventure rather than only one person who's powering up and everybody was already awesome and stays awesome the whole story. Having everybody be able to power up a little bit is a, yeah. is a more yeah. interesting, involving story to me. Especially yeah. given that we're, we're also seeing, you know, parents starting to develop his thing with the wolves. I was saying, okay, well now Ren's the strong one. Perrin's the wolf one. But see, I don't think by this point I had picked up that Perrin had anything to do with the wolves. I think by this point I still thought they were just running from wolves that happened to be around them. Yeah, if 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 I remember correctly, y'all weren't sure at the first if the wolves were good or bad. And, yeah. and you thought they might yeah. be like snitching on them to the dark one or something. Like, or if hey, they were hey, good, it doesn't necessarily they could be you know, chasing after them because there's a good band of wolves. Like there's a good band of the Eagles in Lord of the Rings. Oh, like yeah. there's just the wolves are coming to help, but we don't know because we're normally scared of wolves. Not that he was connected to them it, mm. for me. But we for had me. already seen the scene where they lick his leg at that point. So we were kind of like, yeah, okay. we had the big talk about yeah. whether or not they had healing properties. <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> what's yeah. going are, on? Are they trying to heal him? Are they just tasting him for later? Yeah. Are they yeah. marinating? Uh, so yeah, Rand does the channeling and, and, Breaks open the ironwood door. Which in the version you were in was also the wall, wasn't it? Yeah, the version I was in, it was the wall. But yeah, yeah. that is the same scene. Um, yeah, and, and actually, uh, as soon as as she brought Rand into the storeroom, I think was when I figured out, oh, because up until that point, I thought, I, w I really like Dana, which I think we were supposed to really like Dana. And, yeah, and, that emotional manipulation. Yeah, and and I was like, okay, she's really cool. I like the, I like this character. This is cool. And and there, there is a bit character named Dana in in the series at one point. And I was like, okay, they're just trying to bring her in here for fun. But you know, she she was a bit character that never had a point. So might as well name this character after her. And you know, I was into it. And then at the second they walked into that storeroom, I was like, oh oh, I know what this is. I I know what's going on. <laughs> I was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, you figured out your story yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice uh so yeah that that's uh uh so Rand does uh break that door open and starts running and immediately runs into matt and and matt, matt's like okay we're doing this now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he just sees Rand running in the opposite direction he's like well if Rand's running, I'm going to. <laughs> Whatever he's running from, I'm sure I also want to run from it. They run through town and end up getting cornered by Dana because, of course, she knows the town better than they do, and she's able to cut them off at the pass. That's when we find out that she's just a bloody nihilist uh, pissing on Rand's rug. You gotta wonder what the neighbors think of all this. <laughs> yeah. I saw them from our, outside. Our bartender <laughs> is chasing people down the street with a sword. To be fair... Where the to fuck did she get a sword? <laughs> Who gave her I, I, a sword? I'm going to say, to be fair, and this is very much a, a to be fair, I grew up in a mining town. Did you? Seeing um, your bartender running down the street with the yeah, that would sword have not... was just <laughs> Friday night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, no. Yeah. People are crazy. Like, like that would have not been anything to remark upon in, in that town, I'm sure. That would have been like, oh, there goes Dana again. <laughs> Somebody didn't pay their tab. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're probably putting bets on it at this point. Um, 
So they're they're standing there, and and Dana gives her little nihilist speech, and and all of a sudden uh, we hear Tom. Tom says, uh, "Knock knock." Who's there? Interrupting dagger. Interrupted dagger. <laughs> and there goes Dana. I love a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> So Tom says, uh, yeah, she said there's a fade on the way. Let's bounce. And and the boys are like, uh, yeah, that's in, that sounds like a good idea. We're going with you. Um, so then Where are you we going? East. East is good. East is good. <laughs> east, east, east sounds like not here. That and sounds Aragorn like a good place. took yeah. the hobbits out of town. <laughs> uh, so then we switch back to uh, Lan and, and Moraine and Nynaeve. And they're, they're. Traveling through the forest, and they come across the the other Aes Sedai. And uh, Leandrin Leandrin's at them. And then uh, Loghain Loghain's at them. And we, we get to the end of our, our episode. Um, did we notice anything new in this scene? Nothing new, but I, I now know who all the players are, so I could see, um, you know, I recognize the warders who are... Who are escorting the, the cart where Logan's trapped and you can see the two green sisters sitting beside him. And, and you get more of an idea of who this really intense looking guy is rather than just a really intense looking guy. He, he centers the scene the second he appears. Yeah. Without moving or saying anything. Like, and, and I'm so glad they got that actor to play that role because that is exactly what Loghain needs to be. When he walks on screen, he needs to be the focus of everything. Like that, that is Loghain's character to, to a T and, and not even putting any effort into it. He just is that way, you know? Um, the, the thing I noticed about this scene that, that I had completely passed on before, um, remember how I was how I've been concerned about what happened to Bella after, uh, after, after Shatter Logoth. Well, mm -hmm. I noticed, uh, Lan, Lan is on Mandarb where he's supposed to be. That that's his horse's name. Aldeeb is being, being towed behind them. That is Moraine's horse, the white horse. And Nynaeve is on a third horse. I did notice that. I was like, where do they get these horses from? <laughs> Bella. Well, 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 Aldeeb and Mandarb have been with them from the start and, and he did take them out of, out of uh, Shatter Logoth when he he ran with Moraine, um, and Nynaeve we know came up on foot. So I believe that Nynaeve is on Bella in that scene. So we do know where so Bella is. They must is. have found the horses wandering in the woods somewhere. Well, you have to keep yeah. her in the story as the fact that she's the dragon. Yeah, I, so I thought she was the creator <laughs> or the dark one. Oh. Rand versus Bella, final episode. I'm betting on Bella. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always bet on she Bella. She knows what movie she's in. <laughs> oh, so that is the end of our episode. Um, any more thoughts? Any more? Anything else that you wanted to bring up that we didn't cover? I don't know. It's just been interesting for me. I, I don't normally go back and watch a lot because I always feel like I'm behind on what I want to see that I, I'm like, once that one's done, I move on to the next thing. And even, <laughs> I, I even talk every time a new season comes out, like, I'm going to go back and watch everything so I remember who everybody is. And I never do. I usually try to find some 15-minute, like, sum up of the season on, on YouTube or something. So this has been an interesting, we've done such a deep dive, and then going to this extra level and watching it, 
with information that I wouldn't have had the first time through if it weren't for this podcast. And now watching it again with that information and like the story is just so layered. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. It's so layered, so rich. Like you're, you are all starting to see the levels of story I was seeing from the beginning where, where you, you were all just like, like I said, drinking from the fire hose, just trying to learn the basics about this, this land. And, and I already had all that was able to see all these extra layers. I am so thrilled that you guys are all going to these depths with me. Thanks for not gatekeeping. And definitely compliments to the author, but there's also layers that the actors are adding in that even you have stated weren't in the books. Yeah. And like, even just like if that cold thing with the dagger is a thing, the the nuances some actors find in a scene where they just do something that isn't even in the script and they're just inspired to do it. I'm pretty sure there's a, a moment in uh, the Much Ado About Nothing uh, where where the the big bad guy ruins a wedding and as he's walking out he grabs one of the cupcakes from the wedding thing and starts eating it as just having torn up these people's lives and I'm pretty sure that was not in anything I think the guy just looked at it and went that's something I would do like nobody wrote that in the script um, maybe it did I don't know yeah. but like I love those layers and seeing those in this is beautiful seeing the, the job the actors did with the amazing material embellishes this story even more yeah well well uh it, it's something like that that i remember um the scene in uh dark knight returns dark knight return whichever one with had heath ledger ledger's joker yeah, yeah yeah um the scene where he blows up the hospital when he walks out and he like is fiddling around with the thing and it and the hospital isn't blowing up that wasn't that wasn't the way the scene was supposed to go he was just supposed to walk out hit the button jump in the in the bus and instead he stood there and started doing all this this stuff just to mess around with it and they're like oh my god are you insane <laughs> but it made the scene so much better it really did oh, Heath, Led a, Heath Ledger's my favorite Joker he, yeah. oh he, yeah that's not hard very no, much no. portrayed someone who is just an agent of chaos yeah absolutely even chaos. to himself yeah <laughs> fun literally yeah. for shits and giggles oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah and in, in the movie super troopers they're doing a syrup challenge where they're trying to chug syrup as fast as they can and in most of the takes it was iced tea so that they could drink it really really quickly mm -hmm. but they did one take that was actual syrup and the scene where like when the syrup comes down and he just goes wow like the, his <laughs> eyes get wide the sugar rush is going because that was an actual syrup and he had just finished a good portion of a bottle of chugging syrup <laughs> so his reaction is genuine in that moment i love those things i love them you know, sometimes you have to stab somebody so you can get a genuine reaction on screen you know what you say? <laughs> and with that i think uh we could probably wrap this episode up <laughs> i don't know what what uh, the Joker or stabbing other people or Super Troopers drinking syrup has to do with with Wheel of Time? Okay, but fuck it. a pencil. I got a trick. I got to show you. Yeah, magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> Two takes. It just wasn't hitting right. They used a real pencil, and man, that scene. <laughs> and with that, we want to say thank you to Michael and Jen for, uh, of course, sponsoring this this whole podcast. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, Michael, Michael and Jen. Guys. Uh, of course, Michael and Jen in charge of the Watch Party Lord of the Rings podcast, which uh, you'll want to go and find if you're into Lord of the Rings. Also on the Watch Party Network, you can find Watch Party of Ice and Fire covering all the works of George R.R. R. Martin 
And uh, coming soon, watch party, Gaiman, Sandman, Endless something. I don't know. We'll, we'll get the name figured out. We, we, watch party NG. Yes. <laughs> watch car, watch party TBA. There we go. Watch party TBD. <laughs> watch party DVD. We're dude. No, that's a, that's a dead, dead format. We can't do that. Um, watch party reel to reel. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, if you want to find us online, you can find us at what watch party on Instagram and Twitter, whatwatchparty.com for links to all of our stuff, including our, uh, discord server. And if you want to send in something for mailbag, you can send that to whatwatchparty at gmail.com. And now final question for the panel. We just saw Dana and, and her, uh, scary restaurant things what 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 uh scary restaurant things have we experienced so i worked my way through university um working as a waitress slash bartender and i was in university to get a microbiology degree so there's a point where you just kind of say you know what i'm just not gonna think about it (laughs) (laughs) i I need to compartmentalize (laughs) i don't have my own horror story because i kind of like i would have walked from any place where i wasn't trusting the food i i can't serve somebody food i wouldn't eat as a matter of fact the the uh, fast food place i worked at uh, in my hometown, when growing up, the the way I would tell people it's that good is the fact that I still eat there after I left. And most people, if they worked in places that are bad kitchens, like, yeah, don't, don't eat there. And I still would go back. But I do know a certain sandwich restaurant that a friend of mine worked at that uh, had multiple times people were getting sick because some of the uh, food would get left out for longer than it probably should have been and uh, kind of turned me off to that place for a long time. Oh, my gosh. So most of my scary stories as a DoorDash driver happens on the other end to the people I'm delivering to. Um, But in a restaurant, I think the scariest thing is just seeing, first of all, please stop DoorDashing from places like McDonald's. You're not going to get it hot. (laughs) (laughs) And second of all, if you are going to DoorDash, you should tip well because I've walked in to a restaurant and seen literally dozens of orders just sitting there for up to an hour because the person didn't tip. <laughs> and so you, <laughs> so each DoorDasher that gets your order sees that you didn't tip and rejects it over and over and over again. And that is horrifying. So enjoy <laughs> your clammy, gummy, wet cold fries because you can't be bothered to tip that is scary and we and they it, your meal's not getting remade by the way that's also scary enjoy your salmonella or whatever <laughs> i i am suddenly overcome with the desire to never eat doordash sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no i i've gone the other way i tip heavily but i think that I think a lot of people in the service industry kind of went the tip heavy route. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you've worked, if you've ever worked a service job, you tip, you tip so much better than anybody else. It's well, I haven't, I used to say Absolutely. it that 
a, a former service person is either your best table or your worst yeah. because they can look at your section and know whether or not you're slammed or whether you're screwing off. Yeah. And if you're screwing off, they're going to be your worst tip for the night because <laughs> they know that you could have done this. But if yeah. they see you slam, man, they are going to take care of you. They're going to be kind to you and have the patience for you because, man, they wish somebody did for them. Yeah, I, I am always completely, completely calm with my servers, no matter how sideways things go, because I know how it gets in, in those places. And I am never going to take it out on a server. It's like, you guys are in the weeds. You don't need me adding to it. I'm, I'm going to be, the, <laughs> I'm going to be the cool customer. Even, even when my food gets your cold, you're still getting a 20% tip. You know, it, it's, it's not your fault. And it, it breaks my heart how grateful sometimes people are that just because you're not shitting on them for stuff that's outside of their control. It's like, yeah. man, people do not treat you right. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the, the funny thing is you, I have found that just by doing that, like I get so much bonus food. I get yes percentage off on my, my stuff. You know, I get the good, good customer discount shit like I that haven't just because I'm nice to them. Like if you come in as a door dasher and you're like, I just, I just put like a large fry for the road. Like I always get them hot. Like I see them making it uh-huh. and they'll They'll keep giving the old fries in the basket to whoever's in the drive-thru, and I will get the fresh, hot, oily, salted <laughs> ones every single time. I have not been failed yet. It's wonderful. <laughs> Moral of the story, take care of your service workers, please.